This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. You're listening to the Happy as a Mother podcast. Today, I have a special treat. I have co-founder Melissa Bernstein of Melissa and Doug Toys on the show. I could not pass up this opportunity to sit down with the mind or one of the minds behind Melissa and Doug Toys that has created over 5,000 children's products and sold billions of dollars in toys since its inception. Melissa is here to talk about her own personal journey through anxiety, depression, motherhood that has all come into a beautifully written book called Lifelines. This is a really special and intimate interview I invite you into this coffee side chat with Melissa of Melissa and Doug Toys. Are you yelling more than you'd like? Do you fear you're scaring your child or children? Maybe you wonder why something so small set you off. It's in situations like this that parents find themselves asking, am I an angry mom? Are my children going to hate me? The truth is, you're not an angry mom. You're likely a mom that has been under-supported for far too long. You're also a mom that has never been taught the skills to manage your own big feelings. That's why we created the Managing Mom Rage Workshop. We are Erica Jossa and Dr. Ashri Nareem, therapists specializing in maternal mental health and we're both moms. We know the challenges you're facing because we've been there and we've supported thousands of moms to uncover what's going on underneath the anger. We invite you to join us for a live workshop on April 23rd at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. We will cover how anger and rage can show up in motherhood, what is really causing these feelings, how to protect yourself from responding in such a big way, practical strategies to use in the heat of the moment, ways to repair with your family when you've lost your cool, ways to forgive yourself when things don't go as planned, and Q&A opportunity to answer all of your pressing questions. If you can't make the live event, don't worry. Purchase your ticket and you'll receive an email with a link to the event to access the replay. To learn more, head to happyasamother.co slash mummyrage. That's happyasamother.co slash mummyrage. Welcome to the Happy as a Mother podcast, where we are dedicated to helping you cope with the load of motherhood. I'm your host and registered psychotherapist, Erica Jossa. Let's work together in letting go of shame and guilt, accepting where we are in our journey, and moving towards becoming the women we want to be. We will hear from experts, learn practical tips, and listen in on honest conversations. Please note that the information shared in this podcast is for educational purposes only and should not replace the advice of your healthcare provider. Okay, let's dive in. Melissa, thank you so much for taking the time to be on the podcast today. I've been really looking forward to this. And as I was saying off air, I've been displaced into the kids plan today, which feels very fitting for you as the half of Melissa and Doug. So thank you for being here. I am so excited to be here and was looking forward to this conversation as well. I have your absolutely stunning book, by the way, Lifelines, which we're going to talk about today. What a creative, uh, like just such a fascinating, interesting book and beautiful. It came like beautifully packaged. So we're going to dive into that because you have been in business, you've been momming, and now you're like into this world of authorship. So I'm curious, like, how do we get into the writing and publishing world? Wow, that is a story. Uh, and, and, you know, I've had a little bit of practice because I have written for Melissa and Doug a lot of children's books. We started a new line of children's books a couple of years ago, and I, I wrote many of them. So luckily, I had that experience before my own. Yes. But I think, you know, I really have been writing this book my entire life. It is the product that has taken me the longest to give birth to, literally 50 years. 
it was a heck of a C-section, that one. So <laughs> it, it was wanting to come out for that long. So I would say I've been writing it my entire life. And it's really about your personal journey through some of the highs and the lows and the hardships and, and sort of making some meaning out of some of these things you've gone through in your life, right? It is. It is truly my search for meaning, which has been a struggle since I was born. You know, mm -hmm. I was born with something that I didn't even know in, the name of until recently. It's called existential depression. Mm -hmm. And it really is this sense of not knowing why you're here, feeling an absolute absence of meaning and trying to figure out what I could do to find meaning in my life. It's so interesting and fascinating because I feel like as women and as mothers, we think, you know, we'll get married and then meaning will settle in and happiness will settle in with that. Or we'll have kids and then meeting will settle in or we'll, you know, maybe get into our career that we wanted or build the like amazingly successful business that you've built. And when we arrive at these places, it kind of doesn't provide what we think it will provide, right? Yes. I write so many verses about the fairy tale. And mm -hmm. I think so many of us buy into this idea of a fairy tale, right? That life is going to be perfect. And the birds are going to, I always say the birds are going to be singing and there's going to be flowers blooming and the kids are going to be beautifully clean and like acting perfectly. And I bought into that hook, line and sinker. Mm -hmm. I truly believed in the fairy tale and tried to craft my life as a fairy tale when it was a lie, you know, it's, mm -hmm. it's life isn't a fairy tale. And I'm so upset at those people who made me believe it was, I think it was right. Disney. <laughs> it of was, course. although a lot of those fairy tales weren't so happy, but, but actually Walt Disney's were happy. I think Hans, Hans Christian Andersen's fairy tales were realistic. You know, mm. we sort of got into the fantasy fairy tales, which I like Cinderella and Snow White, they were my hero, my, my mm. heroines growing up. And I think I really believed that the same thing would happen to me. And that when you grow up believing a fallacy, you will be only disappointed. Yeah. And well, I think that when you're talking about this reality versus like expectation versus reality, this is something mm -hmm. we talk a lot about on podcasts, particularly in motherhood, because motherhood is played out to be this very, you know, positive and esteemed and, you know, all of these sort of unrealistic expectations and we get in it and it is all of those things, but it also is dark and it also is challenging. And so mm -hmm. when you talk about this depression or recognizing some of these struggles and anxiety, was it onset during motherhood? Was it even before then? When did some of these things start to bubble up for you? Yeah. I mean, I lived with them my entire life. And they were so overwhelming that very early on, I adopted a whole bunch of coping mechanisms that were unhealthy, but were the only way to survive. So I basically denied, repressed, and disassociated from all emotion and mm -hmm. really adopted this facade of perfection that I ended up, you know, staying, staying with my entire life through parenting and yeah. really only began to connect dots about five years ago. So I think, you know, this extended through my childbearing years and through being a parent, this idea that I was only one emotion, I was perfect, and that I would show this to not only myself, because I believed it, but the world. And that was the, the facade that I was. That's all I was, was this, yeah. this shell of the person I believed I needed to be to fit in. And I see that you've dedicated some real space to that in Lifelines about this perfectionism and powerlessness mm -hmm. and these pieces, right? So they seem like they've been really big sort of pillars or things that have been a struggle. And I think that resonates with so many. I have a, an episode on the podcast on perfectionism and it's the most downloaded episode because it just resonates with so many moms who, you know, and motherhood yeah. is a unique one because there is no right or perfect way. Like there's a perfect way to be a lot of, like I say, a perfect way, air quotes, you know, but like there's a prescriptive way to maybe be a certain type of employee or a certain type of whatever. But when you get into motherhood, it's kind of this, no holds bar, no manual, no real kind of containment for what that perfection should look like. And a lot of, a lot of moms really struggle with finding the right way. And yeah. Navigating so, yeah. I think the aspect of perfection that affected me most as a mother was martyrdom, mm. which is even a bigger issue that 
I've just begun to really talk about. And martyrdom was this sense that I needed to be everything to my children, that they could want for nothing. And Mm -hmm. it didn't matter how it depleted me. I needed to check every single box of filling every one of their needs, no matter how outlandish or whatever time of day or night in order to feel whole. And it became this really punishing, imprisoning form of validation. Right. Well, I think about it because if if I read correctly, you've got six children. Is that right? Yes. Six children and enormous business, wildly successful business. And Mm -hmm. I think about as someone who's building a business myself, I have three young boys that expecting that level of perfectionism from yourself in the area of mothering six children and having all of these things, like I just imagine in my mind, just kind of wearing ourselves so thin, trying to keep up with that facade, right? Yes. Yes. So I was serving from an empty well. There was nothing. I never had anything in my well my entire life. I mean, my well was, was out there you know, and it was only filled through external validation. So it was, it, there was maybe an inch of water in it. And yet I was serving myself to the bone and becoming so resentful. Like I didn't even realize it. And that's what martyrdom is. It's this, you know, doing it for sort of this validation, but when the validation doesn't come, which by the way, it doesn't having right. six children, because the more you serve, the more people expect you to serve and it becomes this chain around your neck that just gets pulled tighter and tighter. And the Mm -hmm. more I knew I wasn't serving them, I wasn't serving myself, I developed this horribly deep resentment and bitterness that came out in my verses. I didn't even realize it was festering. But the verses I write in that volume of the book, you know, the the martyrdom verses, they are angry. They are basically saying, I'm just a tool to serve others' needs. No one cares about me. No one looks at who I am beneath this shell. I mean, it is, it's deep and dark. And I think that a lot of moms can relate to that, especially right now we're in the climate of like a Mm -hmm. pandemic and a lot of work from home and a lot of just feeling this. I also talk a lot about mommy rage on this podcast and how postpartum rage, mommy rage, or anger, generally speaking, in a motherhood role often has to do with a feeling of powerlessness or being trapped. And that's what it's reminding me of when you're talking about this martyrdom is that like this being very stuck in this day in and day out, constantly being needed. And it almost feels a bit smothering. It was imprisoning. It was truly like I was in prison and couldn't get out and knew that it wasn't right. Like I knew I was serving no one. I mean, I knew I wasn't serving my kids because I was enabling them and not allowing them to develop their own independence. Mm. I wasn't serving myself because I was feeling terrible and I was feeling exhausted and used and no one was gaining through this yet. I couldn't seem to get out of the very, you know, detrimental cycle that I was in. And that's when the the bitterness and the resentment started welling up. And from the outside looking in, people think you're successful. Like, is it isolating to go through this experience where, you know, inside we're like aching, but people on all of aspects of the checklist are of life, right? So isolating. And, and all I did all day was give other people advice about these very same things because you know, at work I had, we have hundreds of people who, who work for us and I would talk to young moms and all the time and give them advice and they would share their concerns with me. And I would laugh because I write so many verses, you know, I am so wise in others' eyes, but in my own a fool advice I give, I fail to live and let emotion rule. You know, I, I write all these verses about like, here I am, you know, giving advice to others yet can't seem to heed it myself. So I think I was living this really dual life and this sense that I wanted so desperately to show who I truly was and accept myself for who I truly was, but I couldn't. I had created too much of a facade to be able to break that shell and really go inward. And Mm -hmm. and it didn't crack until I got to the age finally, you know, and it sounds like maybe over dramatic, but truly the cry of my own soul to be seen authentically became so loud and so urgent and so desperate that I had to surrender. It got to the point when it was like, 
I cannot do this any longer or I will drown. Mm-hmm. And is there a, like, is that the exact sort of place that Lifelines was birthed out of? Was this sort of breaking open piece? It was a few dots connecting in a really profound way. I mean, obviously that clamor, and that's what midlife is about. Midlife is about when, you know, pain plus resistance equals suffering. And at some point, the pain and the resistance get so great and the suffering that ensues becomes so overwhelming that all you can do is surrender. And that's really what happened to me. You know, mm-hmm. I had gotten to this point when I was just so exhausted from denying myself and denying everything I was and not really ever knowing who is Melissa. I mean, never knew. I was just this shell of a persona that I felt I should be. And I was desperate to know who I was and to discover myself. So I think mm-hmm. that plus a couple dots that showed me that I indeed had suffered with this affliction called existential depression my whole life. And with that, realizing that people who suffer from existential depression tend to be highly creative Mm -hmm. and also have very hypersensitive personalities that are rather stigmatizing because they're so extreme and so up and down and odd And those folks tend to be stigmatized by society because if they show that hypersensitive self to the world, people are going to think they're really, really weird. Mm. And I knew that. Like, you know, I could even recall when I was young a number of times when I showed some of my eccentricities to the world and I was like really disdained. It was like, you are so weird. And, you know, I even remember in school because I would always ask why and ask teachers to repeat themselves. And I was like, had such a fervent need for knowledge and to understand things. Mm -hmm. And I remember, you know, kids in my classes would be like, there she goes again. Like, she's so Mm -hmm. weird. Like, why does she care about this stupid stuff? Like, we don't care. And, you know, I heard it a few times and then I stopped asking. Mm -hmm. And, you know, to to suppress your, your need for knowledge is so, so sad but I was Mm -hmm. so ashamed by being who I was that I knew I could never show it to the world. And when you mentioned creativity, it it was such an interesting to go through lifelines and to just even see the representation of it laid out just so beautifully and so creatively and to show up in the world in such a different creative way than how you do with Melissa and Doug. Like I have so many questions that like kind of leads up to this because you've had a creative journey, I'm sure. Right? Yes, absolutely. Um, creative. I see your business is being creative. I don't know the inner workings of your business. Also, that's business business, I'm sure. But can you help me understand how Melissa and Doug came about and how that creative journey started? Yes, that's been the best journey of all. Yeah. You know, so I think that's, that's an incredible story because it's also one of finding your North Star and really finding what makes your soul sing. Because, you know, Right out of college, Doug and I did pursue very traditional careers. And we were in that era when you didn't start a company in college. Like that was a big no-no. You followed a very traditional career that you were going to be in your entire life. And Mm -hmm. that was like you went in the track and you just stayed in that track. And anything short of that was considered like, you know, taboo. You, You couldn't do it. So Doug and I went into those traditional roles, believing that was what we had to do by society's Mm -hmm. standard. And we were both absolutely miserable. I mean, I was like a flower without sunlight and water. There came a point when I could barely get out of bed and go to my my job, which was, believe it or not, investment banking. I was an investment (laughs) banker, which was like the most highly sought after career in college. And because I chased the validation, I wanted to do the job that was the hardest to achieve. And Mm -hmm. the one that was like one in a thousand. And I was like, I am going to get that job. And, you know, the the glow was about three weeks until I actually started working and realized that I didn't have any of the qualities necessary to be successful in that role. And that's when the despair started. So anyway, you know, we were just dating, but we both were miserable and felt like, what is life if we can't find that thing that makes us want to get out of bed each morning? 
Mm. And we knew that there had to be more. So we decided we would go away for this fateful weekend to a bed and breakfast and not leave until we decided what we were going to do with the rest of our lives. And we centered immediately on children because all of our parents were involved in education in some way. And we truly love children and knew if we could impact children in some way, then that would make our lives have a purpose. So it really started with that. And we both took this big plunge into the unknown by pooling our meager life savings and starting this this company. And I think that was when, for me, my life started to change because you know, I'd always created from the time I was two years old, I wrote compositions, I wrote music Mm -hmm. and lots of songs. And I also wrote verses, these rhyming verses that came in my head and I just continually wrote them down. But for the first, you know, 25 years of my life, what I created was so dark and so despairing and so desperate that I never let anyone see it. I wrote them and then I squirreled them away under my mattress, in my drawers, in my clothes, anywhere to just get them out. And mm-hmm. I never even read them again or, or played them again. They were so dark. It just brought me to a very dark place. So I realized the reason those 25 years were so ugly and dark was because I never did find meaning from my creativity. Like I was creating innately, but if it stayed in the dark and didn't touch anyone, how could it bring me meaning? Mm -hmm. So when we started Melissa and Doug, and again, it was really just an accident. And I realized with, I call it chelation, shock and elation, (laughs) that I had this ability to create toys, no less, from this deep, dark despair. It was like a breathing tube had been put into my trachea for the very first time. And I knew what it meant to breathe fresh air because I saw that I actually had a choice. And my first 25 years I had chosen, I now saw, to create darkness out of darkness. Like Mm. I had taken the darkness and I said, I'm gonna channel it into just questioning, churning, deep, dark verses and, and music. But suddenly I saw what? I can take darkness and I can actually channel it into light and toys that I can hold in my hands and give to a child and they can spark their imagination. Like this is unfathomable. This is incredible. So that was a profound lifeline and became really my salvation for the next 32 years. Wow. And when I think about Melissa and Doug toys, and I think about like the wood toys and the colors and the rainbow and it's bright and it's happy. And it's this creative expression that feels so like joyful, you know, type of expression. And there is like, when we go through lifelines, there is like darkness mixed in with redemption, mixed in with, Mm -hmm. it's more range of the human experience in lifelines. Do you know what I mean? I Um, absolutely do. So it's so neat to see the different ways that you've shown up in the world creatively and how a new level of vulnerability it must've taken to show up with the full spectrum of emotions because that's very intimidating. Absolutely. And I think that's where the second dot started connecting. So I, for 32 years, I channeled, you know, the, this darkness into light through toys. And there was nothing more magical than, than these past, you know, three decades. I mean, it was such a profound gift. And I truly ran into my office each day because I knew that I had found my salvation and it was essential for me to do that. Or I, I knew I was clinging to it, like with every ounce of my being. Hmm. But I also knew that something was missing. And really, it was still that acceptance of myself in totality. Because although I was channeling the darkness into light through making toys, I still had not accepted or even sort of explored that deep range of dark emotions that were the catalyst for all that creativity. Mm -hmm. And I knew that I was still living a lie and denying myself. So Mm -hmm. I finally got to the point about only about four years ago, I had a talk with myself. Mm -hmm. I said, Melissa, you have to stop running. You have Mm -hmm. to finally stop running away from yourself because it's lurking. It's waiting for you. And the more you, you keep running, the more it just keeps looming. 
Like you are going to have to stop the futile race, which is one of my volumes because it's the most prevalent for me running away from myself. Mm. And you are going to have to finally agree to make this arduous journey inward. And that was when I also had to admit, I can't do this alone. I'm imperfect. I need professional help because I can't do this journey alone. Like I knew it was not going to be a fun (laughs) trip. There were going to be some really dark caverns in there. And I was right. So I was Mm -hmm. right to get professional help. Thank goodness. And that person who's become one of my dearest friends. And actually, if you want to know the craziest thing, she's helped me write the journey for our ecosystem, lifelines.com. That's how Mm -hmm. incredible it is because we went through this journey together for the first time, probably for both of us to such an extent, you know, that became the most revelatory and painful experience of my life. And again, I coined a word for it, exilifying. It was Mm -hmm. exhilarating and terrifying at the same time. So it was the most exilifying ride of my life. It reminds me of this like pivotal moment that I had in my own life. And that's actually what birthed my whole platform and brand was when my third child was born. And I kind of came head to head with myself in motherhood and in postpartum depression, which I was a therapist at the time and had no experience in maternal mental health. And it just brought me to like a depth and core of myself that like everything changed when I went inward. You know, like instead of racing and keeping busy and avoiding and people pleasing, like everything in this like particular moment that I can recall just like came to a halt and Mm -hmm. everything changed. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think that that's such a perfect way of describing it. It's like exhilarating and it's been freeing. It's been the most beautifully messy, chaotic thing, but it's also been terrifying and hard and there's been healing and it's been hurtful and it's been vulnerable, which is a feeling that perfectionists do not like to embrace. For me, it was, I had to face the emptiness that is the existential anguish that I felt from my earliest moments, from the moment I was born. So it really involved facing that place that I had been racing from truly from the moment I was born. Yeah. I'm so curious as you've embraced it, what sorts of things are filling that up now? Are there things I'm so curious to know? I have come to such an incredible place that I almost can't even believe it's true. And I think, you know, the same thing that got me into the existential despair in the first place was what got me out of it. And it's my intellectual curiosity. Because It's the intellectual curiosity that allows me to ponder sort of higher realities that made me ponder my existence and the existence of humanity. But in the end, it was philosophy that got me out of it Mm. because I have studied so much meaning, you know, and the, the meaning of life through these incredible philosophers who studied it way before I did. And I realized that, By starting Melissa and Doug, I was doing what these philosophers did, which is making a choice whether to wallow in despair or to take responsibility for our lives and create meaning. And I saw so clearly, it was like the clearest I had ever seen anything, that I could continue to race away from myself, blaming others, being a victim, right? Feeling sorry for myself and denying the truth and denying the responsibility that I would have to put on myself to make meaning in my life. Or Mm -hmm. I could say, Melissa, you got a short time here, like meaning, Mm -hmm. take control and make meaning in your life. And I chose to become committed to making the most meaning I could in my own life through engaging in something greater than myself. Mm -hmm. And that for me is creativity, you know, when I can create something bigger than myself that I can give to others and hopefully it brings them a little bit of joy, that gives me meaning. And engaging in a cause, which is now this bigger urgent need to show others that they too can make this journey inward, they can be okay with who they are, and they can feel confident in showing the world, you know, the things that make them tick. As busy moms, the last thing we need is more on our to-do list. 
It's hard enough to remember who needs what packed for school, when the next doctor's appointment is, and when to register for events, let alone remembering to call and cancel subscriptions that drain your finances every month. That's why Rocket Money is so great. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills so that you can grow your savings. You can see all of your subscriptions in one place. And if you notice something that you don't want, Rocket Money can help you cancel it with a few taps. They even try to negotiate lowering your bills for you. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has saved a total of 500 million in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when using all of the app's features. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash momwell. That's rocketmoney.com slash momwell. Feeding the family is one of the most all-consuming parts of the invisible load. Meal planning, shopping, trying to balance nutrition, finding the time to actually cook with little ones needing your focus and attention can be so stressful. But Factor makes it easy. Factor's delicious, ready-to-eat meals take the mental load off your plate, providing pre-prepared, chef-crafted meals delivered right to your door. You'll have over 35 different options a week to select from, including keto, calorie smart, vegan plus veggie, and more. You can even choose from over 55 nutrition-packed add-ons, including snacks and smoothies. With Factor, there's no prep and no mess. The meals are 100% ready to heat and eat in just two minutes. That means no cooking and no cleanup, which is great for busy moms. You can choose the schedule that works for you and your family. Choosing six to 18 meals per week and pausing or rescheduling your deliveries is quick and easy. Reclaim some time and reduce your mental load with Factor. Head to factormeals.com slash momwell50 and use the code momwell50 to get 50% off. That's code momwell50 at factormeals.com slash momwell50 to get 50% off. If your house is anything like mine, breakfast is the most frantic meal of the day. We all want to start the day off with a wholesome meal for our kids, but the time crunch makes it difficult. Magic Spoon helps relieve the morning rush with tasty cereals, high in protein for a great start to the day. Magic Spoon offers a variety pack with four delicious flavors, cocoa, fruity, frosted, and peanut butter. And it has zero grams of sugar, 13 to 14 grams of protein, and four to five grams of net carbs per serving. Each Magic Spoon cereal is made with wholesome ingredients and no artificial flavors or dyes. And since it's gluten-free, grain-free, and soy-free, it's great for a variety of dietary needs. Go to magicspoon.com slash momwell to grab a variety pack and try it today. And be sure to use our promo code momwell at checkout to save $5 off your order. And Magic Spoon is so confident in their product, it's backed with a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they'll refund you your money, no questions asked. Try a delicious bowl of Magic Spoon cereal today at magicspoon.com slash momwell and use the code momwell to save $5. I think that so many moms listening to this episode really relate with this desire of like wanting more because I feel like you know, we have these societal messages that like motherhood should be enough and we shouldn't want more. We have to sacrifice our dreams and not go after the bigger desires of our heart. And I feel like this messaging to those moms listening is that like, you know, you also have to fulfill those areas of your heart that are those desires, those passions, those interests. You must do that. It is essential. If you don't, you will become a martyr. You will be where I was, and I was fulfilling those other things too, and I still became a martyr. But there is no such thing. If you just give to others and you don't give to yourself, there's a there's a verse, you will ever leave your dreams collecting, collecting dust upon a shelf. 
I always say, if you, if you ever serve others and don't serve yourself, you will ever leave your dreams collecting dust upon a shelf. So, I mean, the truth is you have to fulfill your own dreams. And to be honest with you, one of the ways I got myself out of that martyrdom syndrome was to say, if I think about what I want, especially for my daughters, because, you know, I'm a woman and I've had to live in a world that hasn't said that you can do everything you want to do. If yeah. I think about my four daughters and I think about what I want for them, do I want them to be martyrs? Do mm-hmm. I want them to put their dreams on a shelf to serve others and not serve their souls? Heck no. Like that's the last thing I want. Yet I said, wait a second. So I want that for them, but I'm not modeling that for them, but I'm being this like robotic servant that's just serving others needs and never asking for anything for herself. And I finally said, no, you know what? If I can't do it for myself, if I, if I want to be selfless for myself, I have to do it for them. And that's when I started changing. That's when I said, you know, if, if my 14 year old said, Hey mom, can you get me water from the other room? I said, Oh, I'm so sorry, sweetie. It was so hard for me. Like I'm finishing something I'm writing for work. Can you please get that for yourself? And I, and for the first few times it was like, what? You're not going to get me water because I would have gotten my 18 year old water and, and brought it like three levels up if he or she asked. I mean, that was how much I enabled them and served. So it was really hard at the beginning, but I knew I had to do it. And I'll I'll tell you a great story. You know, I would cook for my kids 24 seven. And I was so fearful of my, my daughters, especially developing eating issues. And they were very picky eaters that no matter what time of day it was, I would make them whatever food they wanted because I never wanted them to not eat. It would be 11 p.m. and I'd be making like fettuccine Alfredo stir fry because whatever they asked for, I would make. And many nights I'd be crying as I made it because I, mm-hmm. I got up at six, exercised, worked an entire day, you know, worked till 11 at night. And now I was cooking, but I, I never said no, ever. I don't think I ever mm-hmm. knew the word no. So during this pandemic, you know, it's been so challenging. And now we have Melissa and Doug and we have this new lifelines. It's been like really challenging. And mm-hmm. I knew that I had to start. And, and my youngest is 13. Like mm-hmm. they are able to do things for themselves theoretically, even though right. I never allowed it. So I started very gently, like when they asked for food at night saying, oh gosh, honey, do you think you could put those waffles in the toaster? I'm working on something right now. The other night, it's gotten to the point where my youngest, my 13-year-old, like makes himself his snacks every night. And the other night, he was like, mom, I'm going to make a shrimp stir fry. And I was like, great. And he asked me a few questions. He's like, do you leave the tails on the shrimp? You know, because they were like frozen shrimp. I'm like, no, no, you take those off, sweetie. But I was in the other room. He asked me like two or three questions. And then I started smelling these delicious smells and like, you know, and 45 minutes later, he came in and he had like this beautiful meal and it brought me to tears because I realized how much I denied him Hmm. by doing things for him. Like not only did I deny myself, but he was so, the look on his face, he was so proud of himself. And and I said to him, Nady, his name is Nathaniel, Nady, like you could live on your own now. Like you have enough culinary skills now that you could make yourself three meals a day. And he was like, yeah, I guess I could, you know, but he (laughs) said it like with this swagger. And I was like, it gave us both a gift to stop serving. So I'm sorry, that's a long-winded story, but like, it's so important for me to share that because so many of us like, fall into that pattern. And it, it's, it's terrible for all parties. Well, like you said, you just work yourself to the bone and like, like feeling again, that resentment or that really, I don't know if it's smothering feeling sinking in, right. Where we just are doing everything for everyone around. And then they're not gaining in their confidence and independence either. So like, we're both suffering in different ways, kind of, right. It's holding us Absolutely. both back. So when you find and sort of rejig those boundaries, then you both get to thrive and just feel more rejuvenated and feel, I don't know. And it sounds like a cool connectedness moment too, to like both take pride in that moment together. Sounds like a special moment. And 
It yeah. really was. I was, I was emotional. I mean, I got really emotional. And of course he was like, what are you doing? Why are you crying over my shrimp? I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, I'm so proud of you. But the truth was I was proud of myself too, yeah. because I had taken such a big leap, which was to have the courage to say, you can do it. And you don't, and part of it was my own valid, you know, it was, it was my perfectionism is I, I wanted to be the one that did everything for everyone so that I would be anointed. It was this thing that I would be like hoisted up on their shoulders and, and awarded mom of the year. But right. the truth was that never, I can tell you, cause I have a 26 and a 27 year old too, that never happened. So right. it doesn't happen. You just end up becoming bitter and resentful and the anointing never happens. Yeah. Well, and I think about it with six kids, like I have three and the amount of times they hear mommy in a day, like I'm just, you know, like it is a lot. And and I just want to like not be touched and not hear mommy. And as soon as we were like at the tail end of remote learning, like I was really just needing a break. And so times that by six and then the amount of like employees and other like business things that you and Doug must have to field together. And it's a family unit business too. So like that pulls your partner away from you, right? Like there's so many pieces there. So to feel such a strong sense of responsibility to, you know, respond to the kids in that way would just feel so heavy, right? Yeah. I mean, it was all I knew and it was the way I had grown up. So I just continued the only way I knew, which was yeah. to make sure that no one ever wants for anything. And, you know, in terms of where my needs were on the list, they weren't, weren't ever on the list. And I used to use it as a badge of honor. I used to say, I have never taken a bath in my entire life. I was like disdainful of people who took baths because mm. I thought who, who indulges themselves? I was that much of a like a martyr, you know, right. and, and even the, the saying, like, put your oxygen mask on first before you right. bring your children's. I, I was so angry at that. I said, who would be selfish enough to put their own on first? Like mm. I would never put my own oxygen mask on first. I would always put on my children's. And if I died, I die. Like, that's what I'm here for. I'm here to serve. And how that was this mind story that was completely a, a lie because the truth was, I wanted to take a bath more than anything. And I envied these people so much that had the ability to just in the middle of motherhood say, I'm going to take a bubble bath. Like, and, and the truth was, it was anger against them. It wasn't that my way was right. My way was horrible. Right. You know? Yeah. Sort of envious of being able to do that or like wanting that pause in the day to day so badly. Like, yes. so what ways have you slowed down? In what ways are you finding pause, would you say, or or entertaining some of those desires of your own? It's really starting. And it's like a delicious process because I have never, you know, I never believed in self-indulgence. And now I, I'm so certain it's the key to everything. Because if you don't fill your own well and your well isn't, you know, beautifully full, like you really can't serve from your heart, then it's just a, a martyrdom kicks in. So I think it's little things, but I call them my lifelines because, mm -hmm. you know, lifelines are the verses that kept me alive all these years, my lines of verse, but they're also the things that, that help me remain here and, and bring me grounded when I'm either floating off into my imagination or wallowing in despair. So some of the things I love the most, oh gosh, I love drinking tea. It's like one of my favorite simple pleasures, everything from choosing the flavors to I, I mix flavors because I use loose leaf tea and I love like pouring the water and the feel of the mug and drinking it. So that's a, an indulgence I engage in a few times each day. I love any form of being in nature. Mm -hmm. Every day, Doug and I, no matter what the weather, I believe there's no bad weather, just bad clothing. So <laughs> I might have to put on, and I look ridiculous. I put on like three hats because I get cold easily, like five layers, but it doesn't matter. I go out because there's something about nature that is like so peaceful and grounding. Mm. Uh, and no matter what, like, and that's of time for me and, and usually Doug, you know, that's a special hour. So we do that. I love listening to music. Oh my gosh, my playlist is like my most valuable asset I own. And finding a new song for it is like so magical. And I love beautiful times with my family when no one's stressed 
and everyone, like I have some really funny people in my life, Mm -hmm. uh, which is great because one thing I'm not is really funny and no one ever laughs at my jokes, but like my kids, oh, some of them are just hysterical. And when we're just chilling and like having fun and no one's stressed, it can be the most amazing times ever. So, you know, those are a few things. It's interesting how it's often in the ordinary moments that we find these like satisfying, joyful things. Like we spend so much time chasing these, whether it's milestones or markers or I don't know, places in business or whatever. But when we really slow down, it's actually like walks in nature with our partner or like the kids sitting around laughing. That just feels so, you know... It's just the simple things. And I think one of the other reasons I'm coming out, so to speak, is because I have achieved every single thing someone could want in life. Mm -hmm. I have six children. They're all healthy. Thank goodness. Like they're doing cool things. I have a business, you know, that's half a billion dollars and is still growing. I have this incredible relationship with my, my partner who I met when I was 19 years old. And like, he's my best friend. I have every material reward you could ever imagine. I mean, everything. And yet I still was empty in here Mm. because I had never truly accepted who I was. Mm -hmm. And I had never found love and acceptance from myself. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I want to give that message, whether people believe it or not, that you can spend your whole lifetime racing for all the external, you know, rewards. And it's not that they don't make life more comfortable. I mean, Mm -hmm. I've certainly enjoyed some of the material rewards from our business, but do they bring you happiness and fulfillment? Absolutely not. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I have a curious question that's coming up for me when you talk about like loving, embracing yourself more and accepting yourself more. Do you think that that has strengthened and deepened your relationship with Doug or like with the people who are close with you in your life? That is such a good question. A hundred percent. Yes. Although there are definitely some, some challenges, right? Because I was a selfless robot. Right. Not really selfless because I was a martyr. I thought I was going to be gratified in some other world. But, you know, I just gave. I didn't ask for anything. Right. Right. I was only, yes, whatever you want, however you want it, here it is on a platter, usually with a smile. So I think one of the the blurses, the blessing and the curse of my newfound acceptance of my totality is I am more honest. And that can be really painful to those around me. Like sometimes my son at 10.30 p.m. will say, can we go play basketball? And I would have, I would have said, of course. But sometimes now I'll say, well, you know, Nadie, I'm, I'm kind of tired right now. Do you think we could do something here? And, you know, like play a game. And he'll get really angry at me and he'll stalk off. And the old me, even if I said no, would run after him. Okay, sweetie, I'll play with you. And I'm still on the fence with that half the time, I probably still will run after him and play like I did last night. But (laughs) sometimes I hold strong and, and that's, you know, that makes him sad. So it's both, but you know what, once you realize that there's only one way you can serve your soul, you also realize that that has to be okay with everyone around you. And I'm kind of there. I'm kind of, I'm still dancing around it, but I'm sort of at the point where I say, this is who I am. I'm human now. I never was human. I was yeah. didn't didn't feel tired. I didn't feel if, if someone would say to me, Melissa, you look tired today. That was probably the worst thing anyone could ever say to me mm-hmm. because I would jump. It was such a trigger. I'd be like, tired? What do you mean tired? Why, why would you say that? I'm not tired mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. I didn't believe in human emotion and feeling. I believed I had to be impermeable to anything human. Right. So I think- you know, accepting yourself in totality means that I'm human. I get tired. I have low days and showing that to people can be both positive and negative. That's a long answer, but I'd say if I'm to be honest, it's not like, oh my gosh, they all like love me in my totality. So they, they love a lot of it because I'm honest now and I'm more real, but part of it is also when you're more real, you're more honest. Well, and I think about like when we start to set these healthier boundaries with people, if they're used to or sort of conditioned to us being a certain way, they're not always going to love when we change that up, right? 
But there is also this other side of it when we're showing up more true to ourselves in these relationships and friendships or, you know, parenting relationships, that there is this other level of true connectedness when like it feels mutual and it's, I don't know, it can go to a deeper level. But yes, I can see how the adjustment absolutely can take some time. Yeah. I mean, even the adjustment of helping around the house, you know, I did everything because we have three pets as well. And at the end of the night, like I would be, you know, putting the pets to bed and letting them out. And, you know, it was absolutely exhausting. And now I will say like, you know, sweetie, can you please put the dogs to bed? And, you know, I'll get the grumbles because sure, right? When you have to do more work, it's a pain. And I never let made anyone do anything other than just do what they wanted to do. So I yeah. think it's all a new adventure, but yeah. I know it's the right way to go. And I think if I could, you know, do it over, I would have started that way from the beginning, obviously. Yeah. And it's definitely not, like you said, it's it's the right way. It's not necessarily the easiest way because now yeah. we're shifting and we're finding this new normal and it can create tension and discomfort sometimes. Yes. But it feels like it's honoring that part of ourself that really didn't want to just swallow that thing and do it, right? Like it's an honoring of our own self, which is so valuable and so important. Yes. And it's so unfamiliar for me because yeah. like, you know, to honor thyself is like, no, that's the last thing you do. So right. it feels very uncomfortable. And I, I do give in way too often because, you know, when for this long decades you've given in, like it's just habitual. But once in a while I hold my ground and I'm like, yes, I did it. Yes. The victory is the small the victory. Yeah. Yes. That's great. So for those who are listening, as we think about so many moms finding themselves in this sort of relating to this martyrdom idea or mentality or way of life and struggling to accept or prioritize themselves. Are there any little tidbits that you could leave them with or things to encourage them on that journey if it's something that they were to go after? I really think, and I said it a little bit, but I think the most important thing is to really think about what you want your for your kids. You know, what are those things that you desperately want for your kids? And then know that you are their only model for that. And, you know, I even found with work, and this is another area where I I talk to women all the time, you know, so many women are so resentful about having to work outside the home. You know, now it might be in the home, but having to work in general because they really want to be home with their children and yet they have to work to support the family. Mm -hmm. And they bring that resentment to their kids, even though they don't realize it. You know, they Mm -hmm. show them this real ambivalence about having to work and this, you know attitude or this anger that they don't really want to be going and that it's pulling them away from them. And I always say to them, you know, do you want your kids to work? Like, do you want your daughters to work when they get older? Or, and they always say, well, of course I do. I want them to find their passion and I want them to, you know, find what makes them happy. And I say, but are you, you know, modeling that behavior to them? And they're kind of like, well, I guess I'm not. So Mm -hmm. I think, you know, think about what you want for your children and really be that model for them. And if you want them to take care of themselves, if you want them to find their passions, if you want them to be kind to people, then unfortunately, you're all they got. Yeah. So, and even if you mess up, which I do continually to say, listen, I messed up. I shouldn't have treated that person that way because people are good. And that person didn't mean to do that. You know, that's what I learned that when I do mess up, it's okay. I mean, I am human now. I wasn't for so many years, but now unfortunately I'm human. Like, it's okay. I have to just tell them that I'm sorry. I made a mistake or I messed up and they get it. They, cause, mm-hmm. cause if, if I can't show I'm human, how will they be able to show they're human? Mm-hmm. So all this that we're so terrified of doing is to show them that they shouldn't be terrified of doing this. Because that's why the the cycle keeps getting perpetuated. That's why women still feel that they have to be perfect and they have to be able to do it all. And they'll never, you know, and they have to hit this bar of this level of being, you know, successful in every way. It's because we're not modeling anything different. Mm -hmm. So I would say, really think about it. 
and be really honest with them. And don't feel scared to tell them that I really love working. And that's one thing. I think the only thing maybe that I did right, you know, in in the, the beginning was I loved working so much and I knew that it was my salvation. And I was so proud of igniting kids' imaginations that I always told my kids how much I loved work. And Mm -hmm. there were days when they would cling to my leg and they'd be like, don't go. All the other moms stay home. Why do you have to go? And I would say very matter of factly, I would say, it doesn't mean I don't love you as much as, you know, as, as I could, as my heart could, but I have a lot of children, you know, I owe uh, toys to as well. And that's really important to me as well. So I'm going to mm-hmm. go do that. And then I'm going to come home and we are going to do something so much fun tonight. Mm-hmm. And, you know, one of my most prideful moments is when my four daughters will say something like, you know, when I do this in my career, or I want a nanny just like this, or my nanny's going to have these qualities. And they don't even think that they're going to have to choose, you mm-hmm. know, for them, it is going to absolutely be both and a blend because, you know, that is one thing I think that I did appropriately model Mm. that, you know, my job is my passion and I love it more than anything. And I need it to be whole. And I think that that is such a permission slip for moms who are listening, right? There's so much shame when I speak with women about, well, in Canada, they're excited to go back from mat leave. The States just have the same mat leaves afforded to them as Canada does. Often moms go back way too soon before they're ready. But like by the time a mat leave wraps up and and some of the moms are looking forward to going back to work or want to work or, or are like at home and forced to be stay at home or whatever and wish they could be working because they love what they do. And there's a lot of shame and guilt that can come with that. And I really love this interview for that, you know, the following your heart's desires and your passions and things that make you whole is fundamentally important to your well-being and how you show up for your kids at the end of the day, right? It is. Yes. And, you know, women will even say to me, but I don't love what I do. And maybe that's what's coming through. Well, then show them why what you are doing is putting food on the table and is paying for, you know, their camp in the summer and is allowing you to go to Disney World with them. Like, it doesn't have to only be about here. You know, Mm -hmm. many people work to support their family, which is even more important. Right. And and I would say that to them too. I'd say, you know, not only is mommy doing what she loves, but mommy's making it so that you can go to college one day and you can buy clothes that you want to wear and that we can go on these great vacations. So I think it doesn't have to be only about passion. Some of it is obligation. And that's something really profound too. It's something pretty profound to say to your kids, do you understand the connection between mommy's not leaving because just of her, she's leaving because she's really helping this family to be able to survive each day. Yeah, such a great time to pick your brain and learn about your journey and the depths that it's taking you to and the successes and all the pieces sort of in between. So thank you for taking the time to be with us today. Tell everybody where can they find lifelines? I encourage you to see how beautiful it is, guys. You've got to like Google it. It's so pretty. Yes. So, I mean, our ecosystem is what we are most excited about. It's lifelines.com and it is entirely free. You know, Doug and I have been very fortunate in making toys and we really want to make it so anybody can get all this content and this journey free at lifelines.com. So come visit us there. You will be able to take this incredible journey inward, the exact same journey I took and perhaps discover yourself along the way. And ultimately there'll be all these experiential events and content, and it'll be a really rich community that accepts you exactly as you are. Mm. And then if anyone of your listeners Mm -hmm. wants to contact me personally, I would love that. I'm Melissa Bernstein at lifelines.com and you can write me and I respond to every single person that writes me. So I would love that. Wow. That's such a generous offer. So thank you for that. And I will link all of that information in the show notes for people as well. So you can click through on the description, find those things easily. And thanks again so much for taking the time today. 
Oh, that was such a great conversation, Erica. Thank you for your amazing questions. I can't even begin to tell you how happy and honored I am that you choose to spend your time here with me each week. If you're looking for the resources and things that were discussed in today's show, you can find them in the show notes, which is linked in the episode description. Or you can head directly to happyasamother.co slash podcast and find all of the show notes there. If you're looking for support and connection with other moms, you can head over to facebook.com slash groups slash happy as a mother and join our Facebook community. This community is filled with women just like you and I who want to support and uplift one another through our postpartum journey. And until next episode, mama, I want you to know, keep showing up. You're doing a great job.